On January the 2nd, 1997, Jean Dixon was the world's most famous psychic. And she made a prediction. Because she claimed to be a psychic, she said she could tell the future. And so at the beginning of 1997, she made a prediction. She said, within weeks. Well, quite vague, isn't it? Within weeks, a famous entertainer. <laughs> oh, it's a bit weak as well. Will leave a nation mourning. Again, not very specific. But she, being the world's most uh, foremost psychic, said a famous entertainer will leave a nation mourning within weeks. Now, the prediction's not unlikely to be wrong, is it? Something like that's so vague, so general, it's hard to uh, disprove it. The funny thing is, if I can call it funny, is three, uh, you know what's happening, don't you? Three weeks after predicting this, Jean Dixon died of a heart attack, and she never saw it coming. <laughs> that was the thing, you know. Rather than trying to guess the future, Solomon tells us how to live in the here and now, because we don't know the future. And he tells us in chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, that realize the shortness, realize the limit of life. We're told that, I think, I've, yeah, there we are. We're told that two things are certain, death and taxes. But you know, there are quite a lot of people who manage to avoid paying taxes. But every one of us dies. When I was a youth leader many, many years ago, every year we would organize a car treasure hunt. Know what a car treasure hunt is? You would go with different people in cars and you would... Uh, drive to a place, and there you would find a clue, and then you would drive to another place. And without exception, I always organized that one of the clues was in the graveyard. So these young people had to go walking and searching around the graveyard just to make it spooky and scary. Well, that was 40 years ago. In 40 years' time, when they go around the graveyard at their uh, um, car treasure hunts, they will be looking at my tombstone. You know, things go round so quickly. Verse 1, we don't know what the future will be like. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. Liverpool's goalkeeper. Friday night, one of the heroes in the world. Saturday night, according to his Twitter, he didn't sleep a wink and has apologized for giving away the European Cup final single-handedly. Oh, one day the hero, the other day the villain. Verse 2, you don't know, you do know, you will die. This is a dead cert, all right? You know when you will die. You know you will die. Verse 2, all share a common destiny. The
the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifice and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. Every one of us, all of us, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who don't, good men and sinners, those who take oaths and those who won't, all of us die. This is a dead cert. Elvis Presley was 42 years old. He was incredibly rich. His home, called Grace Glance, Grace Glance, because it had been church building, today, well, I don't know what's worth today, 12 years ago, it was worth a tenth of a billion. So I couldn't afford it. But his stepbrother, Rick Stanley, came to visit him. And they chatted together in Graceland's, and Rick told Elvis how someone had been witnessing to him about Jesus. And Elvis said, you know, Rick, it's about time we all stopped fooling ourselves and got right with God. That was on the 16th of August, 1977. The next day, Rick went back to Graceland's to see Elvis and found him dead. Elvis had gone to bed early, to read the book by Frank Adams called The Face of Jesus. Based on Turin Shad, what did Jesus look like? Whether he got right with God that evening, we don't know. We'll have to wait till glory to find out. We hope he did. We must make sure we do while we can, because we know we will die. But isn't it sad, the day, his last day on earth, he said, you know, Rick, it's about time we stopped fooling ourselves and got right with God. Seize the day. You see, death is the curse. This is verse 3. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. Now, the Bible is very clear about this. Death is the curse. Well, it's, it's the result of the curse. God made us to live. <laughs> but sin brings death, and sin ruins our lives, and it brings God's wrath and judgment upon us. This is the curse, the consequences of sin. And this is why we all need to find forgiveness. This is why we all need to get right with God. Remember what you know. Life is short. There are limits to life. Don't just think, oh, I've got so much time. Realize what it means that life is limited. And it means it's a privilege to be alive. So secondly, in verses 4 to 6, we're told the advantage of life. You see, in a few minutes, you will walk out. You will walk along the pavement, cross the road. And you don't realize what a wonderful privilege it is to be able to do that. You're alive. First of all, verse 4, you have hope. Verse 4, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Now, the philosophers disagree. They say we don't have hope. They say you only have despair. They tell us we're all on the sinking ship, and we're all going to die, and we only have despair. That's all there is. There is life, and then lights out. Nothing you are going nowhere. There's no 
purpose in life. There's no meaning to life. It makes no difference whether you live like Mother Teresa or Adolf Hitler. It makes no difference because we're all going nowhere. There's just despair. One day you won't wake up and that's it. But the Bible disagrees. We are in a cursed world. We are all going to die. But we can find forgiveness and life and salvation and heaven to come. There's hope for us all. While there's life, there's hope. So don't waste it. Indeed, verses 5 and 6 say, sort things out now. Verses 5 to 6. For the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing. <laughs> Have you ever tried to talk to a person in a grave? You know, you can talk till the cows come home, and they won't answer you. They have no further reward. Even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Don't leave it too late, says Solomon. Day is coming when your life will end. And then you can't make decisions. You can't direct your future. While there's life, there's hope. But while there's life, there's hope. Daniel Rowland, the great Welsh preacher in the days of Whitfield and Wesley, he got right with God because he was at a communion service. And the minister said, if you're not right with God, you don't have a right to take the communion. And if you're not right with God, you're not ready to die. And if you're not ready to die, you're not really ready to live. And it suddenly made sense to him. <laughs> he, he was trying to live with the blinkers on. And so he got right with God. Getting right with God, you see, doesn't ruin your life. That's not something you leave till the last day of your life and you suddenly get right with God so you can enjoy life and then you can enjoy heaven because you don't want God to spoil your life. No, getting right with God doesn't ruin your life. Quite the opposite. Getting right with God is what makes life worth living. It removes despair and fills you with hope. It removes meaningless and gives you purpose. Think for a minute about your most important possession. What's your most important possession? No, not your iPhone. Not your car. Not your house. Not your family. Your most important possession is your life. So don't be foolish and risk ruining it. But get right with God while you can. Call upon the Lord while he is near. Realize what the inevit inevitability of death means. Seek the Lord today. And then begin to know the enjoyment of life. Verses 7 to 10. We are meant to enjoy life. Now, this is such a shock to many people. They thought that we were to endure life. Life was filled with suffering and was to be endured. But as believers, we are not to be defined by our suffering because our suffering is only temporary. But our glory to come is eternal. And so we, we are meant to be people characterized by joy. The Apostle James tells us even in our trials we can count it pure joy. Those without hope. They try to enjoy life by distracting themselves from reality, 
by entertaining themselves to death or drinking themselves to oblivion or working themselves to death to distract themselves from reality. It's as if you've been given a ticket in a first-class airplane, first class, and you've got this wonderful ticket. And you can go on this airplane and you'll get service, you've got a lovely comfy bed, you've got a lovely view out the window, and you're told you have this first class ticket and this plane is going to go all around the world. <laughs> and then all around again. And it's going to keep going until it runs out of fuel and then it'll crash. Would you get on it? You know, you'd be stupid to get on it, wouldn't you? But so many people are living their life. They just want to get in the first class. You know, we're a third class. Let's get better, more money, more possessions. Let's get in the first class. Now we're going to go round and round until we crash. And that's it. <laughs> but when you're right with God, when you're ready for eternity, you can enjoy the present because you know it's not heading for a crash, but you're going home to God. So, enjoy your food. That's the first thing here in verse 7. Go, eat your food with gladness. And you can see I've done a lot of that. Eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. You can see Dickie does a lot of that. <laughs> For it is now that God favors what you do. Enjoy your food. Now I hear people saying, what about the starving in the third world? They have no food to enjoy. And yes, we should help them have enough. So we shouldn't be greedy and we shouldn't be wasteful. But it's not sinful to enjoy a good steak or a nice dinner. We are meant to enjoy these things. These are not to be unenjoyed. So make a point of doing that. Say grace before your meal and thank God. You know, even these days, Amazon Echo will say grace for you. So if you don't even know how to say grace, you can just say uh, to your Amazon Echo, whatever its name is, you know, say grace, Alexis is it, and she will say grace for you. And thank God for the good things God has given you to enjoy. Enjoy your food. Verse 8, enjoy your life. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. In those days when a person died, someone who was close to you, you would grieve. And the way you would show you were grieving is that you would put sackcloth on. You would wear really dull, uncomfortable clothes. And you would put ashes on your head. Uh, not burning ashes, but dirty, dusty ashes. And you would show that you were mourning by wearing sackcloth and ashes. If your nation was defeated in a war and uh, it was disastrous, then you would dress in sackcloth and ashes. That's how you mourned. Well, says Solomon, for those who are right with God, it should be exactly the opposite. Be dressed in the white of celebration and always anoint your head with oil. No sackcloth and ashes, but rejoicing. He's been here as an old friend of ours, and he told us that when he was a young guy, the vicar's wife was a little bit odd, and she would go shopping wearing her wedding dress. 
She loved wearing her wedding dress. She'd been married for 10 years and was still going around wearing her wedding dress. She thought it was her most beautiful dress, so why didn't she keep wearing it? <laughs> well, Solomon says, be dressed in white. It's a joyous celebration. Uh, I know people who wear their funeral clothes all year round, and they're not undertakers. But they think it's spiritual to be dull and miserable. But joy and rejoicing are to be the theme tune of the Christian life. Okay, our joys are mixed with sorrows. They're not perfect. But in glory, we know there will be no tears, no sorrows, and we're going there. So let's be cheerful now. Religion never was designed. Religion never was designed to make our sorrows more. Let's be cheerful now. We're alive by the grace of God, in the purposes of God. So celebrate. Stir yourself up to rejoice. Put effort in it. Dress brightly. Play joyful music. Enjoy life. Verse 9, enjoy your marriage. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. In Solomon's day, girls got married at about the age of 13. And they didn't really have any say in who they married. You know, their husbands were chosen for them, and they just got married off. And, you know, many of them, it was a very unhappy experience. And many of them turned to drink. And they were unhappy. And because they were unhappy, their husbands were unhappy, and their home was unhappy, and it just went from bad to worse. But Solomon won't have it. He says, your marriage is meant to be happy. And Solomon here is talking to married men. Um, but we can apply it to men and women. Enjoy your marriage. It means enjoy sex. Sorry to talk about sex in the pulpit. But um, at least it keeps you awake, doesn't it? Just in case I make a big mistake. <laughs> um, but uh, sex inside marriage is holy. You know, God designed sex. I tell people he made Adam and Eve naked in the Garden of Eden and told them to be fruitful and multiply. And he didn't mean gardening and mathematics when he said be fruitful and multiply. Um, C.J. Mahaney is an old minister in America, and he's written a book called, I think it's something like this, Sex to the Glory of God. And the reason he wrote that is that his wife, minister's wife, was at a conference for ministers' wives, and there were about 2,000 ministers' wives around there. And at the end of it, they had the speakers up answering questions. And so they had these four ministers' wives at the front who all husbands had massive big churches, and they were meant to know all the answers to everything. And one of the questions came is, how can you best support your husband in his ministry? And so the first lady said, well, praying for him. And the next one said, well, you know, sharing his burdens. And when it came to C.J. Mahaney's wife, she said the best way she could support him was by having sex with him regularly. And you could feel the tension go around the audience. Oh, she said, yes, yeah. she said he's got elders who pray for him. He's got elders and deacons and members who help him bear his burdens. And he can pay someone to do the ironing, and he can pay someone to do the cleaning, and he can pay someone to do the cooking, but I'm the only person who can have sex with him. And so on the strength of that, he wrote a book, because his wife had come out. <laughs> and he wrote a book, Sex to the Glory of God. Enjoy sex. Enjoy friendship. 
spend time together. Some people marry because of sexual attraction, and then they find, well, actually, they don't really know each other well. They're not friends. They've never built up a friendship. They find that they lack the friendship that they need. You know the joke, don't you, about the man who was asked, you know, what makes your marriage work? And he says, well, my wife and I, we go out three times a week. I go out on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. <laughs> you know, and sadly, that's the problem. We need to build strong friendships. Your husband, your wife needs to be your best friend. And so find things you can do together. Talk a lot. Or if you're like me, learn to listen. And enjoy your relatives. Marriage is not simply the joining of two individuals and the rejection of everybody else in the world, but it is also the joining of two families. This is why we have marriage services where the families are joined together, and hopefully it's going to produce children that will make the bigger family unit even bigger. And, you know, it's possible. It's possible to be married and to resent your in-laws, your outlaws, your relatives. I mean, they're odd. They're a pain. They're nosy. They've got stupid ideas. But you know you must spend time and effort befriending them, loving them. Enjoy marriage. Build a happy home. And fourthly, verse 10, enjoy your work. Verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Job satisfaction is so very important. Now, those of you who haven't left education yet, this is very important for you. Let me give you some advice. Work out what you really enjoy doing. And then train hard so people will pay you to do it. Ah, that, that's really good advice. So if you like inventing, then train to be a scientist. My dad was a GP, so he wanted my, his firstborn son to be a doctor as well. So he got him a place at the London Hospital. And my brother was brilliant. He kept uh, winning all the awards at school until it came to A-levels. Because my brother would faint at the sight of blood. The last thing in the world he wanted to do was to go be a doctor. <laughs> so he failed his A-levels. He failed his A-levels. He failed his A-levels the next year. It was really embarrassing. But you see, my dad wanted him to do what he couldn't stand doing. Well, you find what you like doing. If it is inventing, then be a scientist. If, it's, if you're creative, then be arty. If it's sporty, then you know join a football club or something. But don't just chase after money. This is what people do today, isn't it? They find, where's the money? And they go after that. They never have job satisfaction. It isn't always possible to find the job the way you are doing what you've really been created to do. Many of us will just, for some time at least, just have to do whatever job we can get. So, first of all, do it to the best of your ability. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. At the end of the day, you should be able to look back over a good job done and not just look back at all the time you've frittered away. If there are things to do at work that you hate doing, and you keep putting them off, 
You never get round to them, so you're never actually doing your job. Here's a little bit of advice. Set your alarm on your watch, say, for 11 o'clock in the morning, and tell yourself that at 11 o'clock, you're going to do that thing that you really don't like doing, and you're only going to do it for five minutes. And so at 11 o'clock, you say, right, I'm going to do it for five minutes now. That's all. And you know, you'll find that when you've actually started doing it, you actually often want to keep going. And so when you've done your five minutes, you can actually do 10, 15, 20 minutes. And if you really can't do any more because your job is cleaning the sewers or something, and five minutes is enough, then you stop after five minutes and do another five minutes the next day, and then another five minutes the next day. And by the end of the week, you'll have done half an hour of that job which you couldn't even think about doing. But get it done. Even the most daunting jobs need to be done. Also, with this verse saying, whatever it is in the power of your hand to do, do it with all your might, you need to realize that your might is different at different times of the day. I'm better in the morning, so I need to do uh, most of my uh, work in the mornings by four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> I'm no good for anything. Uh, so I mustn't leave important things for four o'clock in the afternoon. And half past six on a Sunday night, half past seven on a Sunday night, 25 to 8 on a Sunday night, I'm no good for anything. So do what you can do. Whatever your, fine hands, whatever your hand finds to do, do it. Don't say, oh, I want something different. I want Simon Cowell. He's going to spot me. I don't have to do anything. Just leave it to him. Well, that's not going to happen. Do what you can now. We were created to work, created to work to God's glory. Brian Booth was a great cricketer, uh, Australian captain, and uh, he was playing cricket, and I think he was playing the West Indies, and one of the uh, players of the West Indies, the bowlers, was a very keen Christian. I can remember as a little boy, uh, Brian Booth came to our house and told me this, and he said um, he was there batting, and it was a Christian bowling against him. So he said to him, love your enemies. <laughs> <laughs> and he came back, he says, whenever it is in the power of thy hand to do good, do it with all thy might. <laughs> and that's how I remembered this verse from being a little boy. Work, enjoy your work. So when we have hope for the future, when the future is sorted out, we can enjoy the present. Otherwise, we're just living each day, getting one day nearer to that big pit, that unknown, that darkness. And how can we enjoy the present when we're going there? We just have to distract ourselves from it. Well, don't distract yourself and live in a false uh, uh, lifestyle. Realize where you're going, get right with God, and then you can enjoy life. But the last two verses talk about the uncertainty of life. We'll never know fullness of joy from our job or from our life here because this life isn't heaven. And so he says that uh, some things go wrong. So you can see Usain Bolt, the last leg of the 100 meters. Jamaica's going to win, and he pulls a hamstring. You know, that which seems certain doesn't happen. So, verse 11 says, good things can happen to you. The race is not to the swift. The people who were behind Usain Bolt went and won gold. The battle is not to the strong. David and Goliath 
nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant. You can get a job with a company and suddenly the company can hit the big time. But time and chance happen to them all. Not only can good things happen unexpectedly, but verse 12 says bad things can happen to us. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Like Johnny Erickson, as a 15-year-old girl, dives in the waters and is paraplegic for the rest of her life. You can be made redundant. You can be sent to prison by a miscarriage of, of justice. Christianity is not a slot machine, and we put in the right religious coins, and we get out just 100% blessing. No, we live in a world where things go wrong. There are times when you will be conscious of God's blessing. There will be times when you fear that God has forgotten it. This is the reality of life in this world. So don't demand too much from this world. Live for God now, making the most of the life he has given you, but looking forward to glory. Because under the sun, nothing is really satisfying. Indeed, we need to follow Jesus. Jesus, he set his eyes on glory. He set his heart on the future, and it was because of the joy that was set before him that he endured the suffering. And trusting in him as our Savior, taking him as our example, let us enjoy this life and enjoy the next one too. Let's pray.